Take your copy of God's Word and have it ready in your hand. We'll be looking at a number of scriptures this morning. Today we are graced and blessed to have a baptism. This is one of the two celebrations directly ordered by the Lord for the church to participate in. A baptism and the Lord's table are what we call the ordinances of the church. They're only authorized symbols of the New Covenant community. Baptism represents our union in Christ and to the church. The Lord's table represents our fellowship with Christ and with one another. Now I want to summarize this morning what we believe about baptism and why. I cannot cover it all. I can't answer all the objections and questions that might rise from looking at these texts. But I want to highlight uh, a number of the key texts and make some summary observations. Well, the first, we note that there is a requirement to baptize. The New Testament, by precept, principle, practice, makes baptism necessary for the church to do. This means that for the local gathered body to do and for all who believe to do. We have the precept from Jesus in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. So start there, turn with me, Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them in water, them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now one of our struggles is with the fact that translators have chosen to transliterate the word in the Greek called baptizo. And so we get our English word baptism or its forms. However, in the original, in the Greek language, this word almost always trying to be generous here, meant to immerse, to place into, to join into. It was primarily used of the dyeing industry, where you would take a garment and you would immerse it in the dye. Tie-dye, some of you don't even know what tie-dye is. I'm old enough to remember tie-dye t-shirts. was not what they did in that day. And so all through here where we have the word baptize, which leaves it an open question as to whether it's immersion to be dipped into or whether it could be some other mode, I'm going to to use the word to immerse. And in most contexts, it makes perfect sense. I know some of you come from different backgrounds, different church traditions, and so this is going to be fingernails on the chalkboard kind of thing. I understand that. We believe, teach, and practice in immersion in water of a believer. And in this text, the command is a compound one. Go and make disciples. Disciple-making process was also twofold, to baptize and to teach. This is fundamentally what it means to be a disciple to publicly profess Christ through baptism so as to be identified as a disciple. Then, 
to be taught so that that disciple, the follower of Jesus, grows in purity, maturity, and in functional ministry. We believe that obedience to the disciple-making command entails baptizing and teaching. Any religious institution that calls itself a church and does not conform to this clear command cannot say, really, that it is obeying Christ. We are to baptize and to teach, to make disciples. Further in the New Testament, we have the pattern of Jesus in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, as well as other Gospels. I select this one because of its place in the early Gospel of Matthew, its significance as Jesus enters his ministry and with the broader scope of what Matthew writes for us, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I have need to be baptized or immersed by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, now let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This week as I was reading over this and thinking about it and editing some of it, it struck me that Jesus did not say for me to fulfill all righteousness. He said for us, the baptizer and the one being baptized. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, he was immersed. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's almost like a big stamp of approval, right? So the Lord follows in obedience in baptism. John follows in obedience in baptizing. And when he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And in that moment, the Father speaks and said, He makes me happy. (laughs) This is my beloved son, this one that I love. Jesus was establishing a pattern of obedience. He overcame John's objections. He was baptized as a means of identifying himself with the remnant in Israel who were believers and who were repenters. And Jesus was baptized in a river. He went down into the waters. He came up out of this. This shows us what he did. And without the rest of the following, we would only have a pattern and possibly a principle. But we find that immersion in water was the regular practice of the apostles in the church in the book of Acts. Acts 2, verse 36 through 41, Luke writes, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said, Repent and be immersed or baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You you just have to pause and say, What promise? The Abrahamic promise. That's the promise. It's the new covenant promise that God will send his spirit who will indwell everyone who believes. Now I'm aware that you could pause here and many have made confusion by saying, well, you see, you have to be baptized in order for you to receive the forgiveness of sins. No, the sense here is that baptism follows belief and the forgiveness of sin. It is upon your sins being forgiven. And so there's this transition that's taking place from the command of Jesus and the example of Jesus into a fuller New Covenant, New Testament understanding. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Who are the far off ones? Just raise your hand. Unless you're a Jew. All right, that's us. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. As Jewish people, separate yourself from unbelieving Jews Recognize Jesus as Lord and Christ. Recognize him as both the divine and the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Profess faith in him. And you will be distinct, separated, sanctified, set apart from even the crooked generation that crucified Christ. So those who received his word were immersed, were baptized, And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, we're going to baptize three people this morning. Can you imagine 15 times the number of people sitting in this room stand up, raise their hand, and in some way say, me, I believe. They baptized them. Verse 41 tells that that those who received or believed the preaching of Peter, those who accepted the gospel truths that he had taught, were baptized. There was no class, there was no waiting period to prove they were believers. Not that those things are necessarily wrong, but the call to be baptized was issued with the call to faith. A person's obedience to the gospel call and to the command to be baptized was sufficient evidence that they, were to be, that they were believers. Through baptism, the apostles knew who truly had believed and they were added to the list of those who were disciples. Why have this list? Some kind of simple role of believers was being maintained in the early church, referred to two or three times. Now, maybe we have taken church membership too far. Okay. However, the elders in the New Testament churches knew who was joined to Christ and knew who was joined to the local gathered church in Jerusalem and in the cities in which the church was established. 
Further, we see this example in Acts 8, verses 34 through 40. Again, the, the back story, there's the Ethiopian eunuch who was the treasurer in Queen Candace's court, had come up to Jerusalem, he was a Jewish proselyte, and so he had worshipped God in the Old Testament way. He was there at the feast uh, of Pentecost, and he is riding his chariot home. The Holy Spirit supernaturally attaches <laughs> Philip to the, uh, uh, in the way. I, I, does your imagination ever go, uh, what did that look like, you know? And so he gets up in the chariot with the eunuch, and he says, verse 34, he said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? Because he was reading in Isaiah 53. Does he say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being immersed? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he immersed him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And this may well have been the launch of the Coptic church in North Africa. Philip found himself at Azobus, and as he patched through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Here is a person who, believing the gospel, asks to be baptized. He indicates a pool of water. Once again, they go down into and they come up out of the water. Luke seems to be making a point. The drinking that water that would have been sprinkled or poured on the head of the Ethiopian was insufficient. I mean, this guy's riding through the desert back to North Africa. He's going down through southern by the Dead Sea and so on. The fact that a pool was available is an essential part of the narrative in Luke's mind and for us. So then we have to consider for a moment the mode of baptism. The word in the Bible is baptizo. It's translated in most English translations into baptize, which then has created some confusion in Romans 6. And Romans 6, don't you know as many as you of you who were baptized into Christ are baptized into his death? What is that? When these folks are, are placed into water, is it in that moment that they are placed into Christ, that they are placed into his death? No, not at all. Now, let's think first about its use in the culture. The words usually refer to placing a garment in water, but more particularly in a dye. This is where the word originated. It's how it was used. It was how it had been commonly understood. Dye was never poured or sprinkled on garments. And garments were always placed into the dye. And also there was rarely referring to a kind of interconnected union. The interesting thing is there's several instances where in, in Greco-Roman writing where a person who was not Roman was baptized into Roman citizenship. Obviously they didn't baptize them in water, but there is a union that takes place. 
And this raises the question then about the emerging use of pouring in the early church. Shouldn't their understanding and practice at least open the door for non-immersion forms of the ordinance? No. The early church was infested with many heresies and unbiblical practices. This back to the early church movement is a mistake. I'm say it. And if you have struggle with that, we can talk. But God has taught us a lot from the Word of God that the early church did not know yet. They had the Word of God. It was still coming. You figure at the time that Luke is writing, only about half of Paul's epistles are, are out there. Well, two-thirds of Paul's epistles. It is historically inaccurate to say that the New Testament church's practice being closer to the apostles' teaching and less subject to corruption over time and was therefore purer. Really? So they had a bishop at Rome. What, by 130, first bishop of Rome is appointed? By 130? 70 years? Think of the errors in doctrine and practice that were rampant in Corinth, Galatia. And the churches Peter and Jude wrote to. So the fact that the early churches practiced pouring only means the early churches were disobeying the scriptures largely for the sake of convenience. It's use in language. The word we have in our English Bibles is baptize or some form of it. The word is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo. The word in the Greek always meant to immerse or to place to, to bring into as so as to unite or join with. Many so-called Greek scholars detect other uses of the word. They are being driven by their frameworks, not by the meaning of the word as used in the language of the day, nor as is intended by the Spirit. The word plainly and simply means to immerse. And when you use it that way, Every time that it occurs in the New Testament, it makes sense. The correct re, um, let me go on further from the imagery. One of the reasons that we believe in immersion is from the imagery in the New Testament. Romans 6, 1 to 5. Why don't you turn there with me? Romans 6, 1 to 5. Let me give you an example in which the word cannot possibly mean to pour or to sprinkle. This is Romans 6, 1 to 5. This is from the ESV. What shall we say then? Or do we continue in that grace in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can you who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been sprinkled, into Jesus were sprinkled into his death? Does that even make sense? No. Many of us who have been immersed or placed or united into Christ Jesus were immersed or placed or united into his death. Don't you know that? We were buried therefore with him by immersion being placed into union into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
Now, one of the things that we also would say is, is that water in the placing into the water and the coming up out of the water much more clearly represents death going down into the grave and resurrection coming up out of the grave. Just the physical type, the physical picture is closer to the underlying truth. What is clear is that the word represents going down into the grave and coming up from the grave. And the word here in Romans 6 is meant to represent union in death and union in Christ as a result of being placed into, immersed in, being joined to Christ. Now we understand that words can have more than one meaning. However, the primary meaning of a word should be understood consistently in text unless and until there is a compelling grammatical or contextual reason to understand the word differently, which I do not find in the New Testament. A couple of other things to note briefly. The Bible command is to baptize those who profess belief in Christ as Redeemer or Ruler. Those who want to stand forward, to stand up, to be recognized as a disciple of Christ. We are to baptize then those who believe. There is an obligation on the part of those who claim faith in Christ to bow to the Lord in obedience. Most of us grew up with the idea that baptism is one of the first steps of obedience. And it's funny that we don't talk like that anymore. I'm not sure it's good. Now, I know I'm an old guy. I understand that. But some of the old stuff isn't bad just because it's old. Okay? In the scriptures, baptism for those are for those who are able to profess faith in Christ. When the gospel call is responded to all through the New Testament, it is those and are only those who are to be baptized. And we are to baptize those who want to be disciples. There's an obligation on the part of the church to baptize those who claim faith in Christ. There's a dual obligation. In fact, the obligation begins with the church. Christ sent the disciples, the apostles, and the command with them was to make disciples and then the burbing of that was baptizing and teaching. It's the church, therefore, through the apostles that have received the command. And we're not to baptize unbelievers. Since we are to baptize those who believe, we must not baptize those who do not. Jesus' death and resurrection is what saves us. We are saved by faith through grace alone. Our obedience does not make us acceptable to God, only Jesus' righteousness. The obedience of faith moves us to be baptized. To baptize those who do not believe is to nullify the true picture and purpose of what God has ordained in baptism. This simply means that we do not baptize infants, nor do we recognize and accept infant baptism as fulfilling the biblical command. We have affirmed that we only accept into membership those who have a believing uh, immersion. Um, 
I'm going to put the whole manuscript up online. If you want to see more, there's more of an argument being made. I'm going to um, forego that in view of, of giving due attention to those who want to be baptized. So we believe that all persons who confess Christ in the heart and with their mouth should confess him publicly. The only means to do that in the New Testament is through baptism. That is, immersion in water in obedience to the great commission. And so, we have a clear command in the scriptures. And so, we should believe in an obeying way. And so there is a call to be pleasing to God in this step of obedience, which some folks this morning are going to take. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great wisdom, for your great command, commission to us as a church. We thank you for the grace that you impart and therefore call people to yourself in salvation. We thank you for this ordinance in which so many things happen, a profession of faith, the picture of being placed into the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the inauguration of a new life, both in Christ and with God's people. I pray that this morning, that we would come with a celebratory attitude and heart to rejoice in this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm Pastor Jason, one of the elders here at the chapel, and also pastor over the youth ministry. So uh, thankful for you all here this morning to be able to participate with us as a body of believers to welcome those who have professed faith in Christ. And as a first step, in one sense, public obedience is this display of making the choice to be baptized. So I will go ahead and welcome as they come in one at a time and we can all take part of their celebration. First, Zoe Messer. My name is Zoe Messer and I'm 13 years old. If anyone had asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said yes. I told them I had been saved during a tornado drill, but I wasn't and never really had insurance that I was. I lived an unbelieving lifestyle while being a goody two-shoes in front of my parents and others. Then something happened that changed my life on Sunday, June 26, 2022. We went to church. The sermon was on the gospel. I had thought to myself, I've heard this a thousand times before, must I listen? But I decided to take notes and listen. At first, the sermon started on a somber note. Pastor Russ was preaching the passage Matthew 11:20 through 30. Jesus was comparing the Jewish cities to Gentile cities. They didn't believe in the works Jesus had been doing there. He said it would be worse for them on the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Why was this? Well, it was because of their unbelief. Then I thought, 
Just because of their unbelief, Jesus pronounced these woes of judgment on them, and I started to feel convicted about my unbelief. Then Jesus lifted up a prayer, thanking his Father, saying, No one knows the Father except the no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and who the Son chooses. Then Jesus said, Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and I am gentle and lowly in heart. I came to him, for I was weary. I knew I was a sinner, tired of saying how I had been saved when I wasn't. <laughs> he has pulled me out of the darkness into the light. He shed his blood for all my sins, and I know I am free and have no condemnation. I have assurance that he has saved me. So Zoe Messer, yep. based on your profession of faith, I now baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Stay within the likeness of his death. Grace to walk in newness of life. Over the course of my life, I have gone through the ups and downs of life. However, as I, as I have matured, I found myself truly coming to believe in God and how he has sent his only son to die on the cross to, <clears throat> to die a death he did not deserve for me. He was buried and rose again, conquering death to free me from my sins. I, ha I have hope and peace knowing that he has given me eternal life and freedom from the consequence of sin. Heidi Pommel, based on your profession of faith, I now baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in the likeness of his death, <laughs> raised with him to walk in newness of life. Next, Tony Hamilton. has been good to me. You know, Satan has a way of discouraging you. And last night I was at a low point. And I think the Lord knew that. Matter of fact, I know he knew that. Because Satan was telling me, brother, you've been baptized three times already. Why do you think the fourth time will make any difference? And I simply told him that I have believed the gospel. And I want to be obedient 
to the gospel and be baptized. And as I was struggling, I heard my cell phone chime. And one of my dearest brothers and friend had sent me a text. And I don't think he will mind if I tell you what that text said. It simply said, praying for you that tomorrow you will have strength and you give God all the glory. Thank you, my brother. I was born and raised in a Baptist church. And as I alluded to, I've been baptized three times. Those baptisms were of fear and not of faith. I was a lay minister for a number of years until my marriage ended in divorce. I bore the weight of a failed marriage and a failed ministry. Though I had spoken to God, spoken of God's forgiveness to others, I felt that the magnitude of my failure had made me beyond the reach of forgiveness. I saw myself as a complete failure. Outwardly, I may have appeared fine, but inwardly, I had been destroyed. And for the next 20 years, I wandered from church to church, hiding in the shadows. Two years ago, after a round of golf, I began to experience chest pains and uh, shortness of breath. And when I got home, I told Bridget, my wife, I think you better take me to the emergency room because I think I may be having a heart attack. When I got there, <clears throat> they ran all the tests and said, there's nothing wrong with you. The next day, I experienced the same pains and shortness of breath, but at a higher magnitude. So I told Bridget, I think you better take me to the emergency room again. And when I got there, <clears throat> they ran all the tests again. And again, they said, there's nothing wrong with you. I told my wife, 
I think the Lord is dealing with me because I had lost the ability to sleep at night. And the sleeping medication that I had taken had ceased to work. And I would awaken just about every hour on the hour through the night. And I would turn and reach for my cell phone to see what time it was. And one morning, early in the morning, before it was light, I found myself on the floor on all fours, weeping and shaking like a wet dog in the wintertime. And all I could see before me was darkness. But it was a darkness that I had never seen before. And in the midst of that darkness, I raised my arm to heaven. And I said, Lord, save me. Because if you don't, I will forever be lost. And when I opened my eyes, the sun had begun to break through the blinds. And the following night, I went to bed and not knowing what to expect. Sure enough, I was awakened. And when I reached for my phone, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was impressed upon me that you don't need your phone because you don't need to know what time it is. Just lay back down. And I laid back down. And it was impressed upon me that I am the good shepherd and I am tending to my sheep. I have loved you with an everlasting love. The Lord has worked a work in me that I shall never forget. He has had mercy, mercy upon one who was not deserving of mercy. He has lifted me from the grave of my sin to walk in the newness of life. Thank you, Lord. I'm ready, brother. I don't know if I am. Tony Hamilton, based on your profession of faith, 
and now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised with him to walk in newness of life. One of the things that um, is such a blessing on this side of giving the baptism is watching the face go under the water, and it is truly a picture of death like I've never experienced in my mind. When you read those scriptures of dying with Christ, you get a perspective here that really speaks of dying and raising a new life. It's such a gift. Um, but in the, anyway, uh, I will pray, and then this worship team can come up and get, get started, and um, let me just take a moment to pray here. Father, I just thank you for this gift that we get to participate in with those who profess faith in Christ. Little do we know, and they know, that this began before the foundation of time, and that we receive that gift by your Spirit in each individual person, yet we are welcome into this family, this new kingdom, this new people group. doesn't matter of age, tribe, nation, tongue, all are welcome and all you call to your house. Father, I pray as we move forward as a body of church that we will support these believers, these brothers and sisters in Christ, that you will give them that endurance of faith through what lies ahead, that we will love them all along the way as we are helping one another to stay on the path to the kingdom of God, which awaits us. Thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>